All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We will be here only briefly, just to kind of pick up where we left off. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at a number of passages of Scripture today. I doubt we'll get through a whole lesson um, today, but hopefully we'll get through a large chunk of it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we will pray, and then uh, we'll read uh, verses 1 down through verse number 11. Once again, just to kind of pick up the context of our, our study here. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to meet together with your people. Uh, thank you for the church. Thank you for... Uh, the gospel, for the Spirit of God, all of which uh, bind us together uh, with those uh, spiritual cords, Lord, that uh, bring us into the family of God and that that cause us to have joy and uh, brotherly love and I trust will, will cause us to also have hope even as we study these things and are reminded of these truths, these Christian graces that Uh, that you've given to us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would be glorified through our study today as we look at the coming of Christ a little bit more as we uh, are nearing uh, the end of our study. I pray that you would uh, please meet with us and please teach us through your word. Lord, you know that we we need the truth uh, of your word to be able to grow and to be able to live our life uh, in light of these things, and for these things to uh, change us and to affect us. So, Lord, please help us. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 5, and we will read verses 1 through verse number 11 again. The Bible says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Uh, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness." Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Now the real crux, I I think, as far as you you look at verse number 1, which talks about what the times and the seasons, which is the timing of the coming of the Lord, right? When you look at verse 1, kind of the connector and the real crux and the pivot point of this chapter as it relates to verse 1 and the time is in verse number 9. It says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 10 and verse 11, remind us of chapter 4. Now remember the chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, is talking about, is of course talking about the rapture of the, of the saints and the, the primary purpose of chapter 4 is not to tell us when the Lord, the rapture will happen, 
but to tell us that it will happen, to establish the fact. And then it is also to remind us and to teach us what is the, the destiny or the, the future of those that have already died in Christ, all right? So when we get down to verse 10, the Bible says, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him? Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So the comfort of the rapture as it relates to those that have passed away in Christ uh, the comfort is the same as we read in verse number in uh, chapter four, verse number eighteen. But the key is verse number nine: that God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know in the in this context, the wrath being spoken of is future wrath, referring referred to in the coming of the Lord. And that's why we spent again so much time talking about the coming of the Lord and the the Bible's primary emphasis on the coming of the Lord being number one for Israel and number two for punishment upon the world. And so I know as a Christian, we think of the coming of the Lord in terms of the rapture. You know why? It makes perfect sense. It's the same reason we watch the local news because we want to know what's happening in our community. So we watch YFF. I hope you watch YFF because all the others aren't as good. But, but we watch local news and because we want to know what's happening for us here in our community. Well, it's the same thing. When we think of the coming of the Lord, we think primarily of the rapture of the saints because that's what we're looking for. But scripturally speaking, the coming of the Lord most often is a reference to the day of the Lord when He returns in judgment. And, but, that, but verse 9 reminds us that that's not for us. That's not for us. And uh, we will see more. Uh, we're going to take a little pause right now. Uh, about the timing of the rapture, and we'll study that a little bit more later. But uh, what I want to do now is, I want to look at verse number 8, if you would. It says, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, now notice these words, the hope of salvation. Now, first of all, the word salvation. We've discussed this before, but this <clears throat> you, you, we need to make sure we understand this clearly. The hope of salvation, and I've mentioned this before, but again, just for clarity's sake, the hope of salvation is not a reference to our soul's salvation from sin. So we're not, we're not uh, wishing for and, and hoping that uh, by some chance we might in the end be saved. Remember that, the he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. We looked at that, and we saw that how people often misinterpret that, and we looked at that and, and tried to get, get our bearings on what that's talking about. But this is not saying, well, well I'm, I hope I'm saved, or I hope in the end that finally, once I die, the Lord will let me into heaven. That's not what this verse is saying because of the next verse. Uh, it says, For in helmet, the hope of salvation... Now, what is that talking about? That salvation for God. In other words, verse 9 is built upon verse 8, right? That's where the word for, that, con that conjunction there, it means that what, is, what occurs in verse 9 is due to verse 8. So the word salvation in verse number 8 is 
grammatically connected to the word salvation in verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. We know that that is future wrath. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, also future. So the salvation in verse 8 is the same salvation as verse 9, which is future, which is future salvation. That is of the body from the wrath of God that's going to come on this world. See, this is why we examine the context, okay? And so the Lord says, for an helmet, that is, of course, the armor of God, we put a, a helmet on, and that helmet is the hope of salvation. This is also in Ephesians chapter 6. But notice the word hope. So we know what the salvation refers to, to being saved from God's wrath when He returns. But also, you have this idea of hope. And can anybody, can anybody remember, at the end of our lesson last week, what I said was the meaning of the word hope? New Testament word, hope. Can anybody remember? I'll give you a hint. The word hope as it's related to faith. How are hope and faith the same? And how are hope and faith different? Anybody want to say again? Belief. Both involve belief. Okay. What else? Exactly. Hope is faith as it relates to something not yet, that has not yet come to pass. Faith is a reference of belief or trust in something that is a present reality. So the fact that Jesus died on, on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again, that is a present reality. We could say oh, an historical reality, but it's present fact, right? But the coming of the Lord hasn't happened yet. So as concerning the coming of the Lord, we might say we believe He's coming or something like that, but the scriptural word that's often used is hope. Hope, because it's the idea of faith in something that's yet to come to pass, but we look for it with expectation. It is not, it is not the way we commonly use the word hope as a kind of like a, a wish. It's not a wish of something that's doubtful, but it's an expectation of something that is sure. Again, hope in the scripture is not, an, is not a wish of something that's doubtful, but an expectation of something that is future and sure. And so that's what the word hope means. Now, let's look at this word hope. That's what I really want to talk about today. Let's walk through the book of Acts really quick, if you would. Let's start in chapter number 2. You can leave 1 Thessalonians for the moment. We're going to look at several verses dealing with hope. What I want to do is I want to show you how this word hope is used in the Scripture and what it usually refers to. Now, you can use the word hope. In fact, there's a place in the Scripture where the Bible refers to, uses the word hope referring to a laborer. In other words, when you work, Brother Robbie, every day when you go to work, they don't pay you every day, but you work on hope, right? And not wishing and not... Well, I hope they pay me this. No, no, no. You don't hope they pay you this week. You expect them to pay you, right? So you believe, you trust they're going to pay you even though it's not come to pass. That's hope. So you can, the Bible actually uses the word hope in that context where the laborer has a hope of reward. In other words, he's working for his reward, but it just hasn't happened yet, all right? But most of the time, so that's kind of a generic use, but most of the time it refers to a specific event, okay? Most of the time. So look at Acts chapter 2 
and verse number 20, um, verse number 25. <clears throat> this is Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And in the midst of his preaching, in verse 25, he says this, For David speaketh concerning him. All right, this is quoted from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. He's, here's what Psalm says. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for He is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, look at, the, look at these words carefully. My, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Why? Verse 27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Famous verse, right? This is a reference to the resurrection of Christ, right? So the word hope is used in this, in this verse because David is saying, and of course, speaking of Christ, David is saying he's going to die, but he has hope for a resurrection. Again, future. In other words, he was fully persuaded that in the future, God would raise him from the dead, right? Again, faith in a future event, hope. But notice its connection, the word hope, with the resurrection of the body. Look at chapter 23 of Acts. Acts chapter 23. <clears throat> Paul's before the council. Verse number 6. Acts 23, verse 6 says, But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees, now the Sadducees did not believe in the idea of a resurrection of the body. Okay? That's what you have to understand. This is why this is important. And the other Pharisees, which did believe in the resurrection of the body, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead. I am called in question. You see the connection? Hope and resurrection of the dead. Look at chapter 24, right? Just right across another page over or so. Verse number 15. Or verse 14. <clears throat> this is Paul before Felix. 24 verse 14 says, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. Paul speaking. Believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, what is he talking about, which they themselves also allow, that, this is the hope, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Of course, that's from the book of Daniel. In other words, in the Old Testament scriptures, there is a clear teaching that the bodies of people who have died, all of them, will be raised from the dead, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting damnation. That is the hope spoken of. This is what Paul, he says, he kind of, it's funny because when Paul was in this situation and he was being, being attacked by the Jews and he saw that there was a division between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he decided to side with the Pharisees to create a division between them for his own protection. And that's, that's what he carried on through, uh, through this whole event that culminated in his uh, going to Rome. Look at verse 26. I'm sorry, chapter 26, verse 6. 
Again, Paul speaking now before Agrippa, King Agrippa, says this, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. For which hope's sake, this is like the fourth time this word is used. King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Now, on the subject of this hope, right, Paul says to King Agrippa, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? The hope. And of course, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then we'll go to a passage of Scripture to really kind of dig into what we want to, which is the meat of our, our lesson today. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, <clears throat> verse 13. You find the word hope again. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no, what? Hope. Hope. But notice, what is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 primarily about? It's about the resurrection of the body. We saw, we, we have seen four or five passages of Scripture that connect the word hope with the resurrection of the body. And in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you are all very familiar with that passage. The resurrection of the body is connected with what event? When does that happen? Come on now. It comes when the coming of the Lord, right? Right? Look, look at chapter 4. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's when the resurrection of the body. So actually, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is dealing with the resurrection of the body primarily. But it tells us when that happens at the coming of the Lord. So here's where I want to, where I want, let's look at the book of Titus. Getting our bearings here. Chapter 2. We got it. We if you were talking about hope, you have to read this passage. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. <clears throat> it says this. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that de denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now stop there a second. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great... All right. Based upon everything we've seen about the word hope and the way it's used and what it refers to, what is the blessed hope here most likely referring to, specifically? Come on, somebody, be brave enough to give me a, to give me a guess. Do I hear going once, going twice? I hear whispers. 
it's referring to the resurrection of the body in conjunction with the coming of the Lord, right? That is the Christian's blessed hope. And I hope to show you why. That is the Christian's blessed hope. Number one, to put it like this, in, in one short sentence, the Christian's blessed hope is this, that we will see Christ and we will be like Christ. That sums it all up right there. Because that includes his return and it includes our resurrection. Well, you say, well, I'm not dead. It's still a resurrection. Even those that are alive, which is actually the minority. Most people that will be resurrected when the Lord returns are dead. <laughs> there's, there's far more of them that are dead than are alive right now. So at the resurrection, of course, we'll see we will be changed. So look at Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> and we'll park here for a few minutes. Verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1, says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, notice the words, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, that was, we have peace with God. In other words, there is no animosity between the believer in Christ and God any longer. There is only friendship and peace. Okay, this is not talking about tranquility like you're not troubled. This is talking about in a relationship, having peace in a relationship. All right, because you have believed in Christ, you have presently peace with God. God is not mad at you. And we, again, I've, I've gone over this over and over and over, right? God is not mad at you. God is not mad at me. We are on friendly terms with God. And, and, I, that, and I'm actually understating it by a large measure, but just for brevity... We're on friendly terms with God because we have been justified by faith in Christ. Verse number two, by whom, that's Christ, also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Notice, present tense. And rejoice, here's the word, what does it say? In hope of the glory of God. So this hope of the glory of God is something what? Not present, but future. That's why it's important for us to understand the word hope is future, okay? But we hope with the glory of God. You're going to see this word glory of God in just a minute uh, again. But look at verse number three. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Look at verse five. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Notice that. How many of you like tribulation, trouble? Now, this is not the tribulation. The tribulation has tribulation. But we, who are not in the tribulation, also have tribulation. How many of you like trouble in your life? How many, of, how many of you like, you want a life that is mostly free of trouble and difficulty, right? That's all of us, me included, 
And listen, there's nothing, sometimes you read some of the Puritan authors and some of the people, especially in our day, that read a lot of the Puritan authors, and you get the impression that they somehow long for trouble. Um, that's not normal, right? That's, that's not, that's not a, a scriptural mindset. However, we look, at, look at how we look at trouble. It says this, tribulation worketh what? Patience. That's the endurance of trouble. Patience works experience, and experience works hope. Hmm, hope. Now, we know what hope refers to. Now, don't, don't get all wishy-washy on me. When we say it works hope, we're not talking about, well, you know, a good feeling about the future. No, this is not New Testament hope. Just a a figment of our imagination that we use to console our troubled heart. No, no, no. Our hope is founded upon fact, right? Reality. The promises of God. God has things in store for us. And you know what? Tribulation, work with patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. In other words, the trouble in our life God designs the trouble in our life to cause us to tire of the trouble that's in this life, to look forward with expectation to his return. Think about that. You know, I'm not very old. Pastor Stewart tells me that I'm out of my youth now. But I'm not very old. But one thing I have noticed as I've gotten older, and I think this will persist as I age, is that the trouble that I see and face and experience, number one, I learn as time goes on to deal with it better and better with more patience, right? That's what this verse says. But the more trouble I see, the more I look forward to the Lord's return. I'm tired of this world, right? You people that have a lot more experience than I do, can you, can you verify that, that as you age, that's the feeling you get? You're tired of seeing trouble. You're tired of hurricanes. You're tired of death. You're tired of hearing about people who have cancer, right? You're tired of hearing about loved ones who perish. You're tired of hearing about all the, the terrible things that exist in this world because of sin. And that, you, you have to endure it. That's the patience. That's the experience. But that causes you to look forward with expectation to the promises of God that are yet future. That's the hope. See, the coming of Christ, the fact of the coming of Christ, and it, the way it mingles with the trouble in our life is designed to make us to look forward. In other words, and if we're look for, looking forward to the Lord's appearance, that means we have less focus on what is going on here. And that's exactly the way the Lord wants us to be. He wants to, our focus to be on His return and not on the things in, on, this, on this earth, in this world. Keep reading down in verse number 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure... For a good man, some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse number nine. Now remember, use your spiritual brain, 
right here. Much more than being, Ari, what's the next word? Oh, okay, you're not there. Being now justified by his blood. Now, follow that. Being now justified by his blood. That is where you are at this moment. Moment. Somebody read the next, next phrase. We shall be saved from wrath through him. That's future. We shall be saved from wrath through him. So this is the same wrath we read in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. See, we're not hoping to be saved. We're justified by his blood now. That's what the verse says. And then we will be saved from God's wrath in the future too. So this is our hope. Verse number uh, 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice this. We shall be saved. The resurrection of the body. But what is the basis in this, in verse 10, what is the basis of the resurrection of the body? The resurrection of Christ. You see that? We shall be saved by his life, Jesus' life. Jesus rose as the first fruits, and we are the harvest, right? Now let's move on to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse number 18. Once again, we're confronted with this idea of sufferings. Chapter 8, verse 18 says this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now notice this. For the earnest expectation, now that, that should kind of ring in your, in your mind the word hope, because the word hope is related to the word expectation. Of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. So now we're talking about the created world. All right? We're talking about the, the sun, the moon, the trees, the animals, the earth, the, the creature. That's what that is. Verse 20, For the creature was made subject to vanity... This is talking about the fall of Adam. Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall also, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Pause there. Now the Bible says that creation groans, waiting to be delivered from the corruption that's in the world. That all happened in, in the Garden of Eden, right? When Adam fell creation fell. That's why we have death and disease and all those things. But that, that we know, the scriptures teach, that that corruption will be, will be healed, will be lifted. Okay? But let me ask you a question. 
Have you ever groaned over the corruption that's in you? Is that not what the verse says? Verse 23 says, Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. This is the resurrection. When we get a new body that has no corruption, that doesn't love sin, that has no kind of magnetic draw toward evil, that's where we live now. Has that ever caused you to groan and grieve in your heart that you are so sold into sin in the flesh, you're so sold into sin that you in the flesh love sin? Is that a grief to you? It should be. It should be to every Christian. What it should do is it should make us tired of the sin that is in us. And when we're tired of the sin that is in us, what do we do? We long with expectation for the day when that sin will be taken away and we will have no hindrance, no sinful, no draw towards sin that we presently have, but we'll be able to serve God and live for God and love God without any mixture of sin and desire for sin. And so we live right now, we live in this kind of, this kind of divided kind of personality. The Bible in Romans chapter 7, does it not say? On the in, in the inward man, we love the law of God, right? On the inside. But on the outward man, we have this body that loves sin and death. And it constantly draws us away from God. But there will be a day, there is coming a day, in which this body will be raised again without corruption. And see, every Christian should groan and grieve over that sin that's in them. They, we should be grieved when we sense there's something in us that pulls us away from the Lord all the time, every day. Every, every day that we wake up, that sin is present with us in our body. It doesn't love God. It doesn't want God. And it constantly fights against the spiritual inclinations that God puts in us through His Spirit. And you know what? I don't know about you, but that that bothers me a lot. But what it should do is it should cause us to lift our eyes, say, Lord, would you come today? I am tired of living in a body like this. I'm looking for you to come. I'm looking for you to return and deliver me from this. Look at Romans chapter 7, since you're already in chapter 8. Verse number 21. He says this, I find then a law that... When I would do good, evil is present with me. That's what I'm talking about. The sinful nature of man. It lusts. It longs for evil in every form. And we fight it every day. At least you should. This is the common experience of every believer. Verse 22. 
For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, that's the body, warring against the law of my mind. You see that there's a war. How many of you can identify with the fact of this, this language? Yes, there is a war in me. How many of you can identify that? Yes, there's a war inside of me. God in the flesh, the spirit and carnality. This is the experience of every born-again child of God. It is not unusual to struggle with sin. The Bible uses the term war. It says, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Again, that's the body. Look at verse 24, but I want you to particularly uh, pay attention to the emotion, okay? This is the groaning we read about in chapter 8 of Romans. He says, Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Have you ever thought that about yourself? Stupid. Stupid. We just want to facepalm. That's what they say these days. Facepalm. Stupid. I did it again. First of all, listen now. First of all, you need to identify why you did it again. You did it again because there is a part of you that's not saved. Your flesh. This body loves sin, and it has a nature that is averse to God. It does not love God. It doesn't want to do the will of God. It wants to do the opposite. So you have to identify what in me, want, what in me is pulling away from God. It is the flesh. Okay, that's not saved yet. But then you have the inner inner part of you, the spiritual nature of you, who's been made alive, and, and that part of you loves God and wants God, and, and that part kind of pulls you the other direction. And so what you have is you have this, sometimes you succeed and sometimes you fail, and, and, and you know, God has equipped us to succeed, and we can have victory here and now over sin. We can. We can. We do not have to sin, Okay? But that struggle is something we all feel. And Paul says, Paul, this was Paul, okay? This is not some average dude who struggles with sin like we do. No, this is Paul now. Paul's no different than we are. And Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. But notice the next sentence. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? What was he looking for? Deliverance. This is the resurrection of the body. And so in us, we groan. We facepalm. Stupid. I fell again. I know better. I shouldn't. God doesn't want me to do that. It displeases the Lord. I want out of this body. Lord, would you please come? I, wanna, I want to escape this corruption. We're not talking about, we're not talking about doing self-harm. We're talking about looking toward the Lord. Lord, would you come today? I want to be freed from sin. That should be the groan of every child of God. Look back at verse number 8. Verse 24. Uh, ch chapter 8, verse 24, says this. 
for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, don't get, don't get lost on, the, on the, the, the phrase, for we are saved by hope. This is not the salvation of the soul. This is the salvation of the body. The salvation of the body. In other words, we are waiting for a day when the Lord returns, when this body that we live in that is corrupted is changed. And the sin that is like a ball and chain holds us down, keeps us from serving God without interference, will finally be removed. And we look for that day. We hope for that day. We want to be free from sin. We are saved by hope. So I just want to ask you as we close, what... Do you have that same emotion that Paul described? That, oh, wretched man that I am. And then do you have that same desire and longing to be freed from sin? This is what the coming of Christ should do for us, right? This is how it should change us now. This is how it should work in us now. Let's pray.